Let's challenge everything you think you know about sales and marketing. In this week's episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, we visit with Matthew Dixon, author of The Challenger Sale. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Matt Dixon. He's Executive Director with CEB's Sales and Marketing Practice and he is the co-author of a great book called The Challenger Sale, Taking Control of the Customer Conversation. So Matt, thanks for joining me. Hey John, how you doing? So you did a pretty exhaustive research um, and studied, well, in fact, uh, actually, I'll just ask you to kind of talk about the, the study and the, and the mm-hmm. five types of folks that you found. So, so set up kind of what, uh, what you did, what kind of research you did to, to really come sure. to the conclusions in the challenger sale. Yeah, sure. Uh, so just in a nutshell, for those of your listeners um, who are not familiar with the uh, with the book or the research, um, back in 2009, we're, we're a membership-based uh, research organization, so we serve about 700 heads of sales and their teams around the world. Um, and we set our research agenda by going out to these folks and saying, hey, what are the what are the big issues that you're grappling with as a head of sales? And uh, the time was uh, late 2008, early 2009, a really bad time to be in B2B sales, as uh, you and your listeners probably uh, can attest to. Um, and uh, we went out uh, into this environment. Our, our members, heads of sales, said, hey, guys, what we really need some help with is trying to figure out um, uh, what is really the age-old conundrum, I think, in sales effectiveness, but at this point in time was particularly pressing, which is this question in sales of why is it that everyone in the organization is missing quota, some of them by miles, yet there are still some um, some salespeople in the organization who are delivering, um, delivering against their quota, delivering above and beyond sales performance. And what we saw is, especially when the down, downturn hit its um, uh, its worst point, the uh, that spread became quite uh, quite wide between high performers and core performers. So we went out. Um, Without going into too much depth in the research, uh, started a series of um, started uh, running a survey with sales managers who were to ask managers to actually assess each of the people on their team across a range of attributes, roughly 50 or so uh, attributes. Uh, we tried to test things that were more nurture than they were nature. So, in other words, things that can be taught and improved for the average salesperson. Um, and uh, what we found is uh, really two things uh, from this analysis. One, the first thing we found is that statistically speaking, um, the, every salesperson falls. In into one of five different profiles, and I can go into a little bit more depth about uh, who those people are and, and what those uh, profiles look like. Uh, but the bigger surprise to us was that um, one of these profiles performs heads and, heads and shoulders above uh, the rest, uh, and one of them comes in dramatically far behind when it comes to high performance, when you look at the top 20% of reps in the study. Uh, and the big kicker is this, that the one that comes in dead last happened to be the one that most heads of sales were actually placing the biggest bet on. So when you look at um, uh, the one who wins versus the one who comes in last, most heads of sales, almost to a person would say, boy, I've been placing my biggest bet on the horse, least likely to win the race here. I'm, I'm trying to build a culture around uh, this losing profile. I'm trying to uh, teach my people to do that better, uh, trying to have my managers coach to those um, those behaviors, et cetera. And what the data here says is it's a losing recipe when it comes to high performance in sales. Yeah, so 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 feel free. I mean, maybe we don't need to cover all five uh, because uh, yeah. I, I think what you set up there. So the the one that that we typically uh, 
saw people gravitating towards uh, the the more social relationship builder that that's yep. that's the one you saw come in dead last right yeah that's right and when you look at um the the five were um the challenger which is the one that comes in uh uh first when you look at high performers uh hard workers lone wolves problem solvers uh, and then relationship builders and exactly as you said the biggest contrast we saw is when you look at high performers challengers constitute about 40% of all high performing salespeople and relationship builders come in last at only 7% of those top performing salespeople. And that that difference is even more dramatic when you look at complex sales. When we cut the data and we look at complex, what many would call solution sales type of environments, uh, selling not just products, but products wrapped in layers of service, long sales cycle, uh, high price point, multi-year kind of agreements with clients, that's where you see the spread get even more dramatic. So in the complex sales world, challengers are 54% of high performers and relationship builders are only 4%. And you know, I think you put it well, the um, the interesting thing is we've, we've sparked, I think, a lot of debate out there in the sales world around, um, you know, well, what does this mean in terms of how important having a relationship is to being a B2B salesperson? And what we'd actually uh, say, and what I think the data backs up, is that the data doesn't say that uh, having a relationship is a bad thing at all, uh, just to be perfectly clear. Um, challengers, in fact, minor in relationship building. So while they major in challenging, their their um, secondary posture is actually that of a relationship builder. They are the second best relationship builders of the five profiles. So right there, just statistically, you know, relationships matter. But the difference between the relationship builder and the challenger is that the relationship builder treats having a good relationship with the client or the customer as sort of an end unto itself. Their view is, hey, if, I, if I'm liked, if I'm generous with my time, if I act to whatever the customer wants, the customer will reciprocate with, you know, uh, repeat purchase, increased spend, uh, advocacy, these kinds of things. The challenger knows, you know, in a world where customers increasingly need salespeople less than they used to because they can get a lot of the information they used to get from salespeople simply by going to your website or by engaging their procurement department or by contracting with a third-party purchasing consultant. In this world, challengers know that, you know, being liked and being a nice guy is sort of table stakes. You've got to have a good relationship, but it's sort of table stakes. They use the relationship to get in and then push the customer's thinking a little that push them to kind of expand their thinking uh, about their business and how they make money, save money, avoid risk, and all these critical business objectives. Well, and I, and I think one of the things that I've really sensed is that what we're really talking about is is the need to be much more dexterous um, mm-hmm. and and to provide. You know, you say they're not needed. Uh, you know, I would chat. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to trip all over this, and no pun intended. I would challenge that um, yeah. uh, to to say that that they're needed as much, but for different yeah. reasons, uh, perhaps. That's- yeah, you're, I think you're. I think you you put your finger on it. I think it's what it what it really means is that um, I think one of the data points we've been tracking and the trend we've been tracking with customers is that um, over time, and I think people have had their own versions of the study, and so the the percentage will vary. But in our own study, we found that by the average time a business customer will engage a supplier. So when the phone rings at the salesperson's desk these days, that uh, that's about sixty percent of the way through the purchase decision, specifically fifty seven percent of the way through. So what that means is the customer left to their own devices will decide what the business need is that they have. They'll shortlist the suppliers and their capabilities who could fulfill that need. And they'll even start to think about pricing. So when they call the salesperson, really their their salesperson's now at the very back end of the purchase decision. Customers already made up their mind. And really what they're doing now is negotiating around price. So I think that's the average sale. But I think to exactly to your point, um, the salesperson who can bring new ideas about how to make money, how to save money, how to avoid risk, how to engage employees, engage customers, steal market share, you know, again, whatever the objective is, those kinds of conversations, those kinds of insights are actually even more valuable 
in a world of abundant information. So I think you're, you're spot on. Um, it really, what it means is that the currency of the relationship is, it's not that the relationship doesn't matter, it's the currency of the relationship right. that's actually changed. So, so let's define or at least get a baseline for then what is a challenger. Yeah, sure. Uh, so challengers um, do uh, they do a bunch of things, but we kind of put a shorthand around it uh, just to interpret the data. Um, we basically say the challenger does three things that are different from the average salesperson. The first thing they do is they teach the customer something new. So the challenger comes to the, the table uh, with the customer with a unique point of view, and often that point of view is a different one from the one the customer has. It's a it's an idea the customer hadn't even thought of before. It it serves to reframe the way the customer thinks about managing their own business. So it's this new idea for making money for saving money, for avoiding risk, the thing the customer didn't even see coming, so they, they teach first and foremost. The second thing is that they tailor the message, and this has become really important. What I mean by that is they take that insight and they, you know, in a world where every decision now is like hurting cats in an organization, especially when you're selling complex solutions, you got to get many, many people on board. It's not enough to get the decision maker bought in. you got to get their entire team bought in and increasingly cross-functional, you know, cross-geography, cross-business unit partners. Getting all these people on board requires the ability to take that insight and make it matter really to the different, you know, the people sitting across the table because those people vary even if your insight doesn't vary at its core. And we found in a world of consensus buying, this ability to take an idea and make it resonate for the person sitting across the table, no matter what hat they wear or what geography they sit in or what part of the business they serve, um, matters a ton. And then the last thing the challenger does, the third of the three attributes, you got teaching, tailoring, the third one is taking control. Um, and what we mean here is the, this is the one I think that gets the most kind of misunderstanding. People hear the word challenger, they hear the word, they hear the term taking control, and I think they assume, you know, hey, it's it's being aggressive or obnoxious, and that's not what we're talking about at all. We're not talking about being a jerk, and we jokingly say we'd call it the jerk sale if it wasn't, you know, if that was the posture we we're advocating for, and that's really not what challengers do. They're very professional, they're very empathetic, they're very uh, sort of um, uh, professionally appropriate in, in pushing the customer's thinking, but nevertheless, they do push the customer's thinking. They do hold their ground at critical moments in the sale, so whether it's around getting access, whether it's around pushing a different kind of idea, even if the customer tends to kind of reject it or push back on it right up front, uh, holding the ground around pricing, terms and conditions, uh, these kinds of things, you'll find the challenger will exhibit this uh, this appropriate level of professional assertiveness, not aggressiveness, but assertiveness at critical moments when the sale can go, you know, as we all know, can go south or end up in no decision land. And it turns out challengers are actually really good about that. So it's uh, those three things, teaching, tailoring, and taking control. You know, it's a lot like uh, I think people that have been effective over the years, you know, have kind of had that posture. And it comes yeah, out yeah, of realizing right. that, yeah, hey, what I've suggested or what we've put together here does have value. And, and yep. you know, if, if we don't see it, uh, we don't see it. But, um, you know, as I listen to you talk about those characteristics, um, I wonder if um, if, it, if if those or or even what we used to call sales, you know, strictly as a function now mm. of of a selling person or if everyone sells. I had Dan Pink yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> I had Dan Pink on a couple uh, couple yeah. weeks ago and he has a great book uh, to sell this human and, yep. and really a lot of the point he makes is that you know the tech people need to be doing this now, the customer Absolutely. service people Absolutely. need to be doing this and 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 so I think it's <clears throat> you know I think it's really interesting that that we're now saying that that's you know that's the ideal salesperson as well. Yeah, and you know, um, I, uh, Dan, um, we had a chance to uh, to sit down with him last year and compare notes on some of his work and some of our work, and 
you know, I think he's uh, couldn't agree more with what he's saying there. That in uh, uh, John, exactly to your point, the the you know selling and the ability to sort of influence others is a huge part of what we all do. And you know, I think to jump off a little bit from uh, what Dan's saying, I think it does raise this question about who are the kinds of people actually in the in the organization, or who are the kinds of people in the labor market that we'd actually want to bring in to be our salespeople these days. And you know, we're finding people experiment uh, quite a bit. Actually, it used to be that we just go look for people with sales experience and we kind of get the stack of resumes and then we actually made it harder by coming in and saying actually within that stack of resumes you really just want the people who can challenge and I've had some people come back and say that's all well and good but really what you're talking about is a limited talent pool so maybe my uh, my energy is better spent not finding uh, salespeople who can challenge but rather thinking about hiring challengers who'd be willing to sell so in other words how could I bring in people from different professional backgrounds maybe it's consultants or attorneys or, or teachers or folks engineers, product people, marketers who come in and can have that kind of intellectual discussion we want to have with the customer and then I can teach them how to do the you know, the um, the salesperson thing, how to follow the sales process, how to ask for money. I mean, obviously, they've got to be open to that, but we've seen a number of companies go out and start experimenting a bit um, at the margins, really, with who they bring into the sales organization um, and they're finding that at some level um, this idea of challenging is kind of the rarer skill, actually, out there um, and the one that they want to actually go and recruit for. Um, but yeah, I think Dan uh, I think Dan's spot on. This has really become core to what we do. And I think if you look at people um, in any organization, salesperson or not, who are good at influencing others, um, uh, you'll find that they exhibit a lot of those challenger skills of teaching, tailoring, and taking control. So it's not it's not simply the provenance of salespeople, no. Yeah, because uh, I think there are certain you know, human or social characteristics or just makeup, you know, like curiosity or something, yep. you know, that, that not everybody has and, and it's much harder to teach. And as you point out, a lot of the, the actual functional processes of selling can, can be taught, but the mindset maybe is a little harder to teach. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. how does, I mean, has it changed? Of course, all right, so I'm that challenger person and I have this mindset, mm-hmm. you know, not every... Uh, prospects wants to be challenged, right? Yeah, mean, right so right. so how do I find the ideal client or customer yeah. or prospect that 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 sort of resonates, you know, and, and is going to sit still for me to bring them the insight that that maybe I have. Yeah, that's uh it's a terrific question. In fact I'll tell you when we first did the challenger research, I think well you know, in research, we kind of like closure, but what we usually find is it opens up more questions than it, than it does answer questions. And so Challenger was no different. I think one of the things we found right away is um, sort of Challenger at the highest level. You have these people that teach, tell, or take control, and they deliver sort of um, higher levels of performance. But as we got into it, I think we realized that they do a lot of other things that are different, too. And it goes exactly to your point. What Challengers actually know is that, um, uh, as you said, not every customer wants to be challenged or is receptive to a challenge in the same way. Um, two things I point out. One, we know is that challengers actually often look for opportunities that might not classically fit kind of our um, our BANT uh, scorecard criteria. So budget, authority, need, timing, these kinds of classic criteria we arm salespeople with to go find a prospect um, who is a good fit. What challengers actually know is that sometimes when you find somebody who scores well on these on these criteria, it's actually too late. You're per- you're too far down the uh, the purchase decision, and so they're actually uh, looking for um, 
uh, disruptive opportunities out there. They're looking for opportunities out there where demand is, as we say, emerging, not just not yet established, though. So it's an organization where change is brewing. Maybe it's um, some big shift or disrupted technology or something going on in their in their industry. Maybe it's uh, senior management turnover. Maybe it's an M&A type situation. Something's going on that creates an opportunity, creates a situation within the customer organization where they would be more open to new ideas than they might be otherwise. So you could imagine coming into an organization where um, you know things are humming, things are going great, uh, they're delivering quarter after quarter of great performance, might be a tougher, and you know, it's a very stable leadership team kind of thing, and they're the market leader, might be a bit of a tougher environment within which to challenge thinking than one where things are going to, you know, hell in a handbasket and there's there's all kinds of disruption going on in their world where they might be looking for or shopping for new ideas in a different way. So that's one thing at the opportunity level. The second thing we know is at the individual stakeholder level, remember before we talked about, you know, this idea of um, a consensus buying. And one of the things we know is that uh, while challenging and leaving with new insights definitely makes that first sales conversation in some ways more efficient and more uh, more focused, in many ways it kind of makes the back end of the sales process more difficult. Because if you're coming in with a new idea, one that is different from what the customer thought about their world, a, a new idea for making money or saving money, um, well, now you've not just got to get one stakeholder on board, you've got to get the whole organization on board around this new idea. So there's a lot of convincing and a lot of teaching and a lot of challenging still to happen before the customer signs on the dotted line. Yeah, and, some, and somebody's afraid you're going to make them look like a fool at some part of the process. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in fact, we know more than anything else what decision makers actually care about. The, most, the thing that is most important to the decision maker is actually whether everyone else in the organization right. also supports the idea of doing business with you. And so challengers are really good at finding those key stakeholders, hitching their wagon to the person who's actually going to champion the idea and push for change internally. We actually um, we did a similar study. We had the five types of reps. We actually did a similar study on the customer side. We found seven types of stakeholders. Just to roll it up, I won't go through all seven, but at the highest level, you've got three categories. You've got um, blockers. These are people who are pro-status quo. It's generally hard as a salesperson to get in with these people at all. Uh, you've got talkers. These are people who are very open to meeting with you, um, but it turns out they're very unlikely or unwilling willing to drive change and build consensus around a disruptive idea internally. Uh, and then you've got mobilizers. Now, mobilizers are very pro-big ideas. They're very, they're very much about driving change around big, disruptive ideas. But conversations with these people are tough. They push back. They're skeptical. They poke holes in whatever you're saying. They don't buy it at face value. And so most salespeople are scared to death of this kind of conversation. They look for those talkers out there, the people who will meet with you all day long. They'll walk you down the hall. They'll introduce you to everyone else in the organization. They'll dish the dirt, this kind of thing. But what challengers actually know, what best salespeople know, is those people, while they're very generous with their time, are very unlikely to actually push for consensus internally. And that these mobilizers, while that you know those interactions can be tough, they can be intellectually trying. You got to be ready for the back and forth of these people. You got to be buttoned up. Um, once you get them sold, these are the people that can actually drive change internally. In fact, one high performer we spoke to said, "Look, if if the stakeholder I'm sell- I'm engaging with, my champion or call it whatever you want, inside the customer organization, isn't skeptical, if they don't push back, then either." I've done something wrong, or they're not serious about doing business with us. And that's a great litmus test, I think. So it's exactly your point. The, not every company is in a, a place where they'll be shopping for insights and looking for insights and, um, and be as desperate for new ideas, if you will. And not every stakeholder is as uh, motivated about big, disruptive ideas. So, so, so as I listen to you um, describe you know, the, the, the job of sort of mining for all the layers of stakeholders and, and everybody yeah. that's – and then you've got to understand what everybody's measured on and what their individual uh, objectives yeah, yeah. are and all that kind of stuff. How has, has 
social media and online world and all the access we have, different kind of access we have now to these networks. How's that really changed or influenced that ability? Yeah, a great question. That was um, actually from some research we did last year. Um, you know, if you go back to the comment I made earlier in the conversation about, you know, that our data shows uh, by the time the average customer engages the salesperson, they're about 60% of the way through the the, the purchase decision. And um, many of our members were asking us, hey, what do the best salespeople do to get in early? And I think we know one of the ideas, obviously, to get in early or get called first, if you will, is to be somebody who is relied on by the customer to bring these new ideas. So before they go out with their next RFP or put you out to bid, uh, you know, or put, put a piece of business out to bid, they're going to pick up the phone and call you because you've taught them something of value in the past. But nevertheless, I think what we've also found sort of crop up is that best salespeople are, are actually engaging customers even before the purchase journey starts, actually just out there where customers are learning about the world, learning about business opportunities, and increasingly the place they're doing this is in social networks. So, you know, um, we've, we've interviewed a number of salespeople who actually do this really well, and it was it's fascinating to hear them talk about this. And that what they describe is um, a uh, an activity set that actually feels more like marketing than it does like sales. It's almost like guerrilla marketing or, uh, or true kind of one-to-one marketing. These people are out there um, engaging in social networks. Yes, they're salespeople, but what they're trying to do is position themselves as quote-unquote, you know, trusted advisors by, uh, you know, helping uh, people out there in the learning phase of the purchase journey learn about new opportunities, think through ideas, this kind of thing. And they're very careful about how they conduct themselves. And anyway, I don't want to be out there perceived as just a salesperson. I need to be careful. I want to disseminate as much information that's not about us and our stuff as I do stuff that's about us and our stuff. And so occasionally, I, you know, I'll earn this kind of um, uh, 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 this, this sort of um, image of the, the trusted advisor out there with these people in these social networks, and occasionally I'll, I'll sprinkle in an insight that will teach a customer into my sales funnel, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's, a, it's a totally new way of engaging with customers, and, and social's really made that possible, and we find best salespeople are taking advantage of that uh, in really unique and powerful ways. Well, so as I listen to you describe that, you know, now we're talking about an individual salesperson working on their reputation, uh, becoming yeah, an authority, yeah. doing inbound things like publishing content, you know, so that they're found maybe even in search engines. How does all of that, how, do, how, how does the marketing department yeah. um, sort of sit with all that? Because I'm, you know, I'm on board 100%. That's, I think, today's effective salesperson has to think much more like a marketer. But, but how does that get reconciled yep. in the traditional silos of the, of the business world? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the uh, what we found in in our research last year is that um, uh, marketing organizations, um, the progressive marketing organizations, are really embracing this. And so, w- the, what they're doing is not not really jettisoning all the the stuff they did before, but rather adding on to that um, a, an increasingly important role of helping salespeople position themselves in these social networks. So, things like like you said, um, how do I set up a profile on LinkedIn? How do I build a network? How do which which groups do I engage in? How do I engage? What's the what's the appropriate ethos of engagement? What do I say? out there in these discussions so that I don't get, you know, kind of blackballed as a salesperson on the group or delisted even, which I know happens in some uh, some LinkedIn groups, for example. Um, and, you know, we found uh, we found uh, uh, marketing organizations thinking about how do I equip salespeople to do all these things? And when I produce content, how do I produce it in social soundbite format, not like the long white paper, but how do I take this content, break it up, 
and give my salespeople some guidance so that they can go out there and, if you will, teach where customers are learning. Um, so, you know, a big difference, I think we see that, we see leading sales or, or marketing organizations kind of embracing this and, and thinking about their role. Um, and, and frankly, you know, marketing organizations, I think, are frustrated with a lot of the thought leadership they put out there that never breaks through the noise. It never breaks through to the prospect or to the customer. And what they've realized is salespeople who do this well can take the same content, the same thought leadership content, and customers actually read it. When it comes from the company, they might delete it, but if it comes from a person, they actually might read it. Um, and so they're embracing this because they want to see their stuff get consumed, and it's a great way to, again, teach customers into the funnel. But it does require a different set of activities and, and skills on the marketing team as well. Well, and I think the way you described it, too, it, it not only does the marketing team have to embrace it, um, they, they, there has to be a structure and it has to be done That's well right. so, that That's right. so that it doesn't become conflict. So um, w- one last kind of thought on this. Uh, is this something that you think can and should not just be, and we've already talked about how everybody sells and um, and that, that there's a skill set that maybe, you know, everybody in the organization needs. Um, is it, can you make a case for a, a challenger sort of culture, if you will? And again, not, yeah. not, not in the negative sense that, that you pointed out, but, but really <laughs> yeah. right. in, in, in the fact that, that everybody sort of postures that way. Yeah, I think I think uh, absolutely. I, I'd say I'd answer the question in a couple of different ways. One, um, we've we've made really clear um, in the book that, you know, and I think it's a mistake to read the book and to come out of it thinking, hey, this is about sales rep skills. And if I send my people to a challenger training class, if my managers coach to those these different skills and behaviors, then we should be good. Because the reality is that that's important, but that's really only half the battle. The other half of the battle is having an organization that's ready to support that. Um, and primarily, we're talking about marketing here. We're talking about people who can help crystallize what it is that makes the company truly unique, build um, sales conversations that lead to those things, not with those things, as we usually do, um, that help salespeople engage with these new insights in social networks, all the stuff we were just talking about. Um, but even more than that, I think you're, you're hitting on something really important here, which is um, what we often find is a cultural disconnect. So we hear back from companies who are going down this challenger journey that um, they sometimes find that they're uh, they're sort of talking at both sides of their mouth, if it makes sense. They're telling salespeople to go out and challenge customers and lead with insight and engage in this intellectual discourse and all this stuff with, with customers. But on the flip side, they've created a culture that is very much about um, process management, about efficiency and stack rankings and competitiveness. And it doesn't, it sort of flies in the face of, of the ethos we're trying to um, project, if you will, with our customers. And so we've had a lot of companies come back and ask some pretty tough questions about what are the cultures, what are the cultural elements in the organization that actually engage challengers, that, that, that make people feel good about this, um, this new way of engaging customers, um, that make them uh, uh, committed to trying these new skills, to want to stick around, uh, this kind of thing. And interestingly, just to go back to Dan Pink, I mean, I think we found uh, from, from some research, and the data is just starting to come back, a lot of stuff that's pretty consistent with his work in, uh, in his book, Drive, which is the people who are best at this, uh, actually what they value most in a work environment is uh, things like autonomy over their work, mass over what they do in purpose, real alignment with what the company stands for and the value they deliver to customers. And a lot of this stuff actually trumps um, uh, many of the things around, you know, uh, uh, internal competition and stack rankings and plasma TVs and trips to Cancun and the process focus that most sales organizations are built around. Uh, and so I think it's a real, it's a tough question that sales organizations are going to have to wrestle down. Challenging is a hard thing, you know, being a challenge organization, but it's not something you can just attach to your existing sales process. You got to rethink some pretty fundamental elements of how you run yourself as a, from a cultural perspective. Yeah, it's a little hard to uh, say we want you to become an authority as long as you make 20 cold calls a day. 
Totally. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I know that obviously the book can be uh, can be purchased anywhere that uh, that books are sold. And uh, yep. uh, but you have some uh, additional training and resources. You want to tell us a little bit about how people can yeah. find out more about those. Yeah, um, I'd encourage everyone to go to um, thechallengersale.com, um, and there's a, a, a site there. There's lots of additional bonus materials for uh, for folks, uh, videos, uh, interviews with people who've kind of implemented Challenger, uh, as well as some uh, sales uh, leading sales thinkers and authorities like Neil Rackham on there talking about uh, about this work. Uh, you also find a lot of tools and templates that weren't in the book, but you can download uh, there as well, hiring guides, coaching guides, things like that. And uh, if you're interested, you can click through to some, some other services that we offer uh, around challenger training, coaching, and uh, message building. Great. So thanks so much for joining us. Fascinating book. And I, I think certainly uh, it gets at the heart of how uh, the world of selling and sales has uh, changed dramatically. And, and uh, any, anyone who um, this will be a broad statement. Anyone who does that for a living uh, <laughs> probably needs to buy this book. That would only be about 50 million people, right? So, all right. So th well, thanks, thanks so much, much Matt. Hopefully, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll run into you out there on the road. Take care. Thanks.